wind blowing toward right field. If Alex could find something to pull, get it in the air, he would get some help. Familia's next pitch. Belted to deep center. Back goes Lagares. And gone, Alex Gordon. And comes the pitch. Broken bat, one hopper to third. And over to first in time. Runner going to try to score. Wild throw. Hosmer gambling that he could dash home on the throw to first base. And the Royals have tied the game. For the very best in baseball, this is the place you want to be. Welcome into the Locked On Royals podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. It's game week, it's Tuesday, and on today's show, we have our Fantasy Baseball Minute. The Commissioner of Baseball has no idea what he's doing, and we're going to preview the entire pitching staff on today's episode. Should be a bit of a longer one, so bear with me here, as I am your host, Rylan Stiles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Always talking baseball over there. Would love to get your interaction about any topic we discuss on the show, as well as questions you may have, or just other discussions that you want to have on Twitter. You can find me on there. Always, always active over there. But let's get into our Fantasy Baseball Minute. Today, let's talk about Salvador Perez on the Fantasy Baseball Minute, brought to you by League Commission. Salvador Perez is ranked... 176th overall, and he's ranked the 6th best catcher in all of baseball. Now, of course, Perez missed all of last year with an injury. I think that he'll be ready for opening day. He said he'll be ready for opening day, and all signs point to that being true. Like with Merrifield, Salvador Perez benefits from a much better lineup than the one he was in two years ago. You have Jorge Soler. You have Whit Merrifield. You have Hunter Dozier. Of course, you have... You have uh, Salvador Perez, if Alex Gordon can have a, a hot season to start like he did last year, that's another guy who can protect you. I think Michael Franco will be a, a good addition to this lineup. I think that he'll add some protection. So this lineup is much better than what Perez left off with. It's rare to find a catcher who will play every single game. As long as Perez is healthy, I think that he will not miss a game this year, be it at as a catcher or as a first baseman. I think that he'll be in the lineup most every game. That's rare for a catcher. And in baseball, there's only a certain amount of catchers. We talked last, uh, you know, we talked yesterday about Whit Merrifield. We talked about how there's only a certain amount of good second baseman. And although he'll play center field with Merrifield, he'll still have that second base designation in fantasy, so you can put him at that second base. There's even less quality catchers, and Salvador Perez is one of them. By the end of the year, his stats will balance out and help you win some ball games in fantasy baseball. So that's your Fantasy Minute brought to you by League Commish for Tuesday, February 18th. Let's have a word from our friends over from League Commish. What are you doing for the game? Whether you're a casual follower, the tweets everything, the beginner, the diehard, the stat nerd, the smack talker, the appetizer guy, the couldn't care less, or the makes everything into a competition person, we all have our place in the sports world. The same personalities apply to fantasy sports, and League Commish exists to ensure that your fantasy sports experience is the best for you. We match managers to leagues as we lay the foundation for your new fantasy league. It's as easy as signing up with your preferences, you get matched and approved of that match, and then you can have commitment on your end. 
So sign up with League Commission by February 29th and receive 15% off by entering the code Locked On. Enter the code Locked On in the referral section, and again, you get 15% off. The first 25 people who sign up using our code Locked On receive their first match free. What are you doing for the game? Find your next fantasy sports league at leaguecommish.com. So welcome back to the Lockdown Royals podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Again, I'm your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. So I guess it's my turn to talk about Rob Manfred and his idiotic press conference from Sunday. I didn't talk about this yesterday because I had pre-recorded Monday's edition of the Lockdown Royals podcast prior to Rob Manfred speaking up and just sticking his foot in his mouth left and right. So this, again, goes back to the Astros scandal. We've talked about it on this podcast. If you're a baseball fan, which you have to be listening to this podcast, you already know all about the Astros scandal. You, You already know everything. So let's just take all that away and talk about what Rob Manfred said. As the commissioner of baseball, as the face of baseball, as someone put in charge to better the game, as someone put in charge to facilitate growth of the game, to protect the game. These are the key talking points from his press conference. Number one, the players have to live with it. And what he meant by that was that although the players were granted immunity, although the players were not suspended, they do have a form of punishment in the fact that the media, the the players, and the fans are all going to question their achievements. They're all going to question, uh, you know, how good of a player they are, you know, their talent level. They're going to question things about them. And the players just have to live with that. And that's a punishment in itself. To an extent, that's correct. They will have to live with that. However, in the history of baseball, much less life, we've never, we've never conformed to that idea of, well, they're going to have to live with it. It's been something else, plus you have to live with it. So in the case of steroids, you know, Jorge Bonifacio gets popped for steroids. He gets suspended, plus he has to live with that shame of being a guy who tested positive for steroids. In the case of Pete Rose, you get the backlash of betting on baseball. You also, though, are not even on the Hall of Fame ballot, so there's absolutely no way you can get in. There's always a consequence plus living with it. And that's where Rob Manford messed up is because, yes, they do have to live with it. But this time, there's no consequence before that. There's no, there's no consequence before living with it. So that was one where he stuck his foot in his mouth and it was a funny sound bite. And if that was all, if that was the only talking point of this whole press conference, that would have been fine. It would have blown over by now. It's Tuesday. This happened Sunday afternoon. It, we wouldn't even be talking about this anymore. But then he goes and says the World Series trophy is just a piece of metal. Now, I am not going to be someone who sits up here and grandstands about the purity, the sanctity of baseball, and, and what the Commissioner Trophy means, and, and how they're all going out there and all fighting for this piece of metal, and how dare... Rob Manfred disparaged the great name of the greatest trophy on earth. My thing is, he's correct. 
And what I mean by that is this is his point. His point was, which gets lost in the way he phrased it, which happens so often to people who are publicly speaking. You make a point that is correct, but the way that you present the point has been lost in translation because you said something stupid. He should not have called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. That degrades the accomplishment, that degrades the trophy, that degrades what you're all working for. But he is correct in what he meant. He meant, okay, guys, media, who's asking me these questions, okay, if I take away that trophy, so what? What happens? And this is why I think he's correct. Look at the NCAA. You take away USC's championship. You take away Reggie Bush's Heisman Trophy. You take the trophies away. You take the banners from the Fab Five down. What did that solve? Because we all still view Reggie Bush as one of the best players to ever play the game of college football, as a Heisman Trophy winner. We all consider that USC team very a very talented one. We all consider the Fab Five one of the best college basketball teams of all time. So taking away trophies, taking away banners, does not erase history. It does not change the fact that we witnessed we witnessed Reggie Bush get a Heisman Trophy. We witnessed the banners being raised for the Fab Five. So I agree, taking away the trophy was always a dumb proposal because what does that solve? When you talk about the history of baseball, no matter if the trophy remain, remains in Minute Maid Park or if the trophy is locked up somewhere in the league office, when you talk about that season, when you talk about the 2017 World Series, you think of the Houston Astros, you watch them win it, and then there's an asterisk. Okay, they won it. They won the World Series, and now, years later, we find out it was because of the sign stealing. So I get the point he was trying to make. It was that if I take away the World Series, we're still all going to remember that the World Series happened. Taking away the World Series does not translate to... You know, taking away the trophy does not translate to a men in black brainwash situation. We're not going to all forget about the World Series happening. But he should not have presented it as a piece of metal. That was everyone's biggest argument, everyone's biggest gripe, and it just compiled itself. You, you're, you're building stuff now. We went from the players having to live with it. That was stupid. That would have been a... A circus fire on Twitter for about two hours of joking with Rob Manfred and making fun of baseball. And then, not only do you do that, you double down with, hey guys, the World Series trophy, just a piece of metal. So that's another step in this. So now we're two steps up. And then he comes around in classic baseball fashion, three strikes, you're out. He hits you over the head with, hey, by the way, I've warned other teams that they should not be hitting the Astros intentionally. What? You did what? Guys, Tim Anderson last year bat flipped a couple times and Brad Keller's soft ass hit him. And that's a royal. Brad Keller was soft. He hit him because he bat flipped because he took too long to trot around the bases. And you're telling me that you didn't warn pitchers after Brad Keller to, hey, hey, if you hit a guy bat flipping, you didn't warn 
You know, the, the thousands of pitchers who have done this about hitting guys that are bat flip, Carlos Gomez, any player that shows personality gets drilled. After the first time that they got drilled showing personality, you did not warn any of these pitchers, any of these teams, hey, we're not doing that in this game. We're not purposely hitting people for bat flipping. We're not purposely hitting people for trotting around the bases. That doesn't get a warning. And we've and we've accepted as baseball fans, we've accepted that is how you solve things in baseball. You hit somebody when you feel disrespected, you hit them, you give them their base, you send a message, and then it's over. And it might result in a brawl, it might not. This whole entire time, that's always just been a suspension and go on. There's no warning. There's no threat of further action. It's a suspension. Move on. But now that someone has cheated the game, now is when the time that you're going to take your your high horse and say, hey, we're no longer hitting players. Now, should the Astros get hit every time they go up to bat? No. We can all agree that, that intentionally hitting players is dangerous because... Just as easy as one can get away from you and you hit somebody on accident, one can accidentally, truly by accident, get away from you while you're trying to purposely hit somebody, and it goes from a shoulder shot to a head shot at 95 miles an hour or more. So hitting people with a baseball is, 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 is wrong and dangerous. However, my problem and everyone, other, uh, everyone else's problem is the fact that you are now sending messages to other teams saying don't hit players after a cheating scandal, but you haven't done that in the last 10 years when players get hit for being good at baseball. Where was this league-wide notice of, hey, we're no longer going to hit Tim Anderson, guys. He's really good. He's taking you deep. He's hitting home runs and bat flipping. If you don't like it, don't hit him. Strike him out. Send that message. But... The league was never sent memos about Tim Anderson. But they're going to get sent memos about not hitting Carlos Correa and not hitting the Astros. I mean, again, I do not condone hitting the Astros. I don't think that anyone should hit the Astros on purpose. But it's just funny to me that Rob Manfred and no other commissioner of baseball in the history of baseball has ever said this. Has ever said, hey, I've sent a message. We're not hitting players on purpose. They've let them hit the players, and then they suspend them, and then they move on. They don't let them hit the players, suspend them, and then send a league-wide message of saying, hey, we're no longer hitting players on purpose. So the fact that Rob Manfred went to each team and said, hey, guys, calm down, don't hit anybody, is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. I'm interested to see who is the first team to say, screw that, I'm going to hit somebody and, and, and test Rob Manfred, because here's the situation, though, with Rob Manfred now. Now, another issue with why this is so bad is because now you've backed yourself into a corner. Okay? You've sent this league-wide message, so if somebody does it, they should be reprimanded. And they should be reprimanded heavily, uh, more so than what they get whenever they're just throwing at somebody in in June. So they should get a a heavy, a, a very heavy punishment. Because you've warned them, hey, the Astros, they're off limits. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about purposely hitting them for sign stealing. You've sent that message. However, let somebody hit them. Then what do you do? If you punish them, and you punish them hard, well, the Astros got zero punishment for cheating the game. 
we just got our number three starter suspended for 25 games because he was pissed off about the Astros stealing signs. That doesn't add up to me. That, that doesn't add up to a lot of people. And, and that would create another, another issue out of this whole thing. It's clear that the scandal is not going away. The next question is, was, it, was this whole scandal, this whole situation, was it good for baseball? I think it absolutely was good for baseball. I was going to watch baseball regardless. I have MLB TV. I watch two, maybe three games a day, depending on the times that they're scattered out and depending on what I've got going on. You've got me if you're baseball. I'm locked in. I'm ready to go. I'm counting down the days to watch spring training. But the the intrigue from other casual baseball fans who maybe will watch a couple games a week, maybe even a couple games a month, maybe even a game a month, the injury that that's gotten. And then you add on to it the people who had no interest in baseball at all, and they're now very much interested to see how this all unfolds. It's great for baseball. Scandals are great. Scandals are a, a beautiful thing for a sports business. This Astros team is the most hated professional team uniformly. Sure, the Miami Big Three was hated by fans, and you had Anthony Tolliver and you had Kevin Durant say, hey, I would never team up and do what LeBron just did, then Kevin Durant ended up doing that anyway. But you had a few players speak out, but the this Astros team is hated from a organizational standpoint. Entire organizations, top to bottom, have hated the Astros for this. Fans hate them. And almost every star player, from Bryce Harper to Mike Trout to Cody Bellinger, almost every top-tier player has spoken out and said, hey, this is ridiculous. Even on the Royals, Whit Merrifield has spoken out and said, hey, you know, I don't respect those guys. I'm not going to shake their hands, blah, blah, blah. And that's Whit Merrifield, folks. I mean, he's good. He's a very good ball player, but he's not a national star. So, I mean, this has trickled down to almost every level of baseball, from the fans, organization, and the players. This is great for baseball. You have people, again, who don't watch baseball who are interested to watch the Astros this year. Who's going to be the first one to hit them? Who's going to be that first brawl? How do they react to this scandal? Are they that much worse without sign stealing? There's so many angles to take from this game that people are interested in. And I'll tell you this, okay, from my standpoint... Again, I told you, I watch two to three games a day. I watch at least two a day because I'll watch a, a Central Time game and a, and, a, and a West Coast game. I rushed to the calendar whenever Cody Bellinger spoke out. Do the Dodgers and Astros play this year? No, uh, the, the Central plays the, the plays the NL West, so they're not going to play each other. Okay, well, when's the first Astros spring training game? Okay, it's Saturday. Is that game on TV? It is on TV. I am now counting down the moments to watch the first Astros game in spring training. That'll be on Saturday on MLB.tv. I want to see, do fans bring trash cans into the stadium? Does a number 99 start for the Nationals just to drill somebody? And to earn his stripes? I mean, what are you going to do? Suspend the dude in spring training that wears number 99 and has no shot at making the team anyway? Go ahead. Go ahead. I am intrigued by this storyline, and many others are who, again, don't even follow baseball. So I think this is a great thing for the game of baseball. 
and we'll be back after this on the Lockdown Rose Podcast. And we're back on the Lockdown Rose Podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. So today, I was going to preview the entire pitching staff, but seeing as that we're already at the 20-minute mark, let's preview the starting pitchers today. We'll start the show tomorrow, previewing the relief pitchers, and then move into the infield as originally scheduled. So, let's start with the starters, and to me, here are your locks for the rotation. If I was filling out the rotation right now, if I was predicting and betting on on what Matheny would do, I'd say Brad Keller's your number one, Brad Keller's your ace, Danny Duffy's your number two, Jacob Junis is your number three, and Mike Montgomery is your number four. I think those are your locks heading into opening day. That's your rotation. That's how it's going to line up. You don't need a fifth starter until the first week of April because of the off days and how they're scouted around. And by then, Brady Singer's arbitration clause might be you know, in line, might be ready to go whenever you need that fifth starter. So maybe he can sneak in there. So you have Brady Singer floating around. Again, we've talked about him. You can go listen to that episode titled Brady Singer and Opening Day Roster. Brady Singer should not make the opening day roster whatsoever. I'll give you a little spoiler alert for that episode, but go back and find out why. Uh, The possible starters for these two spots, I think, you know, for the fifth spot, of course, you have Brady Singer, and then you have Eric Skoglin and Glenn Sparkman. Now, I'm a guy who really believes in Eric Skoglin. I think he has the stuff to be a major league starter. I think he has the stuff to actually be a, a solid number four starter, which... A lot of teams need a solid number four starter. I think that Eric Skoglin could prove to be the number five in this rotation and could hold off Brady Singer for a little bit, let him develop in the in the minors a little bit more. But I think that Brady Singer, Singer will be ready eventually this season and it will be time for him to get in the rotation sometime this season, probably even before the trade deadline. Uh, so just how that shakes out in the rotation. I think that your two possibles, though, again, are Eric Skoglin and Glenn Sparkman. For Glenn Sparkman... He's a guy who gets shelled most nights, and then all of a sudden, he'll have a complete game uh, shutout against the White Sox. I mean, you never know what you're going to get with Glenn Sparkman. His consistency is a huge issue to me, and that's why I have him behind Eric Skoglin. So again, I think that your rotation is going to be Keller, Duffy, Junis, Montgomery. I think that the fifth spot will not be decided until early April. I think at that time, it'll be Skoglin, and then give it a month or two, it'll be Brady Singer. So I think that's how the rotation shakes out the entire year. So... Let's look at this again. Starting with number one, do you feel confident in Brad Keller? Eh, I mean, it, this team's not going to be very good, so obviously their pitching is going to struggle. I think that I think that Brad Keller can prove to be a number three starter in the in, in the Major League Baseball by the end of this year. However, the Royals are so bad that he needs to be their ace. Uh, Danny Duffy, this this is it for him. This is it. He's not a good pitcher. He's proven over the course of his career to be a nice bullpen arm, maybe a number three, four starter, maybe a bit of a head case on the mound. I don't like Danny Duffy on the field. I think he's not that talented of a pitcher, but he throws from the left side. I mean, the people love him. He's the Duff man. He has a nickname. People love Danny Duffy. His interviews are great. Reality is he's not a very good pitcher. I think if you're the Royals, what you're hoping for is by the deadline, he can have a a solid year. A solid year. Not a good year, not a great year. You're hoping he's solid. You're hoping that his numbers reflect that of a number two starter, maybe a top in three. That's what you're hoping that the numbers get. And then you can flip him 
and try to pull off a Chris Archer trade. Now, if you remember, the Rays flipped Chris Archer, who is the exact same pitcher as Danny Duffy to me. They both are overhyped by their fan bases. The Rays fans loved Chris Archer and thought he was a bona fide ace. Royals fans love Danny Duffy and think he's going to be something special if he can just shake the injuries, if he can just do this and do that. They love Danny Duffy. Both fan bases overvalued their guy. At the end of the day, they're a decent pitcher, nothing special, nothing terrible, decent pitcher. But the Rays were able to flip Chris Archer because of that narrative around him for Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now. Two guys who were key pieces to their playoff run last year. Two guys who are key pieces to their future. Two guys who are key pieces in what makes them a playoff team this year. Tyler Glass now is electric on the mound. And Austin Meadows adds a huge bat into their lineup. If you can get Danny Duffy to perform at a level of Chris Archer to where you can get something of that caliber, that would be incredible. The problem is the Pirates are not good, and they're the only front office that would be dumb enough to take on Chris Archer for Tyler Class now and Austin Meadows. So I'm not sure what the end game is for Duffy. I think he's a good bullpen arm. Again, if he was in the bullpen, I'd feel so much better about him. I think that he can be a top-end bullpen guy. I think, to me, he's a great value Wade Davis. If you remember Wade Davis as a starter, he could get you five, six innings. He can get you even seven innings sometimes of decent baseball. A couple runs, a few thousand hits, bada-bing, bada-boom, turn over the bullpen. We're down two to one. Can the offense make it up? We'll see. He can struggle along as a starter and be just good enough as a starter. I think that if Danny Duffy would agree to a bullpen role and the Royals would put him in the bullpen, he could turn into a great value Wade Davis, a, an electric 7-8 guy. I don't think he's a closer. I don't think he has that closer gene in him. But I think that he can turn into a great setup man who shuts the door and locks down his inning and gets you over to your closer. Which the Royals proved, and many others have too, that a setup man is just as important as a closer. A guy you can put in in a high-level situation and get out of it and go to your closer in the next inning is huge. If he could do that, his value goes up exponentially. And especially especially with how many teams are contending this year. You look around baseball this year. There is a team in every division that has absolutely no shot at the playoffs. One team. And then there's a couple of divisions that have... Another team who, they're not going to make the playoffs, but they have a tiny bit of a shot. Tiny. Very tiny. So there's more teams now than ever that are buying and trying to make that playoff push. Danny Duffy could be a good bullpen arm for a playoff team. The problem is he's going to be in the rotation, so he's not going to be able to show that off. He's not going to be able to get that that trade bump. For Jacob Junis, I love Jacob Junis. He's another young arm that I am so high on, and I could get burned. I could get fooled, and I could be absolutely wrong. I mean, I'll admit that on the front end. I could be devastatingly wrong. But I still believe Jacob Junis could be a number two in this league. I think he could be a very, very good number two in this league if he can figure it out. Problem is, figuring it out is not easy. It's not easy at all. And then Mike Montgomery, just the throw-in guy. I mean, he's a a good pitcher. Four is about where he's going to be his whole career. Fine. Who cares? This is a bad baseball team. And really, 
The rotation doesn't really matter outside of Junis and whenever Brady Singer gets back, whenever Brady Singer gets called up, that'll matter a lot. But outside of that, none of these guys are going to be here whenever you are contending again. Duffy's not going to be here whenever you're good again. Keller's not going to be here when you're good again. Montgomery's not going to be here when you're good again. So, Junis, Singer, Skoglin, if he can make it, he'll matter. He's still a, he's still a fairly young arm. And then if they call up Daniel Lynch, if they call up any of the other young guys, of course they matter as well. So right now to preview this pitching staff again, I have Keller, Duffy, Junis, Montgomery. No five starter until April. At that time, I'll probably put in Skoglin there uh, if I had to guess. And then Brady Singer comes not too far after April. So this is the Lockdown Royals podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryland Styles. Again, follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Also linked in the description below wherever you're listening to this podcast, to which you should be subscribing. If you're on iTunes, leave a five-star review. If you leave a question or comment in that five-star review, I'll read it on the air and, and answer it for you. Uh, tell me what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, how we can improve the show. Always looking forward to hear that. So tomorrow, to set the table for Wednesday, we'll have our Fantasy Baseball Minute. We'll have the bullpen preview and the infield preview. So it'll be a fun, jam-packed show again tomorrow. Thank you all for listening. Be good and be good to one another, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Locked On Royals Podcast.